This is the Meatbag Podcast with Dylan Bedany. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 16 of Meatbag. I'm your host, Dylan Bettany. In this episode, we're tackling 11 of Google's most frequently asked fitness and nutrition questions, offering some clarity and some much needed practical advice to enhance your fitness journey, discussing everything from tracking macros to constipation, from the accuracy of fitness watches to the differences of prebiotics and probiotics. There's a lot to unpack. It's time to flex those knowledge muscles. This is episode 16. Number one, what's the difference between prebiotics and probiotics? Prebiotics and probiotics, they're not the same, but they work together. Best way to explain it is, think of it like having a birthday party, but in your gut. Prebiotics are like the snacks that you put out before the party starts. They're the nibbles, the cakes, the party treats. They're the fuel for the good bacteria that is already in your stomach, hence prebiotics. These are oats, bananas, berries, onions, leeks, garlic, asparagus, etc. Now, probiotics, on the other hand, they're the actual guests that you've invited to the party. Probiotics are the live cultures, the bacteria that you want in there to keep the things in balance. Probiotics, think yogurt, kefir, kombucha, kimchi, etc. That's the good bacteria you eat. So prebiotics provide the snacks for the good bacteria and probiotics are the guests you invite to keep the party in your stomach going strong. Your gut is essentially a delicate ecosystem and if you throw it off balance, it's like inviting Godzilla to the birthday party, stomping all over the scotch eggs and the volivants. Total chaos. You need the right mix of prebiotics and probiotics to keep your gut in check. It's about maintaining a healthy gut for digestion, nutrient absorption, immune system support, preventing autoimmune diseases, metabolism, weight regulation and inflammation control. It's important to look after your gut guys. Number two, does constipation cause weight gain? Short answer is no. Any weight increase would likely be due to water and stubborn poop, not fat. So if the scales have increased, don't panic. It doesn't mean you're packing on the pounds, you're just walking around with a backlog of meals that your body's hoarding. Number three, are fresh fruit and vegetables better than frozen? The nutritional differences between fresh and frozen and even canned vegetables is very minuscule. There are pros and cons for both. I understand the appeal of the fresh produce. It's all colourful, it's all vibrant. It's like Taylor Swift opening the annual Victoria's Secret show. Fresh fruit and veg can have a better texture, be crispier and sometimes juicier. But they're also more exposed to the elements, which can cause them to degrade, example like exposure to light, air and temperature changes. The majority of frozen fruit and veg is frozen shortly after harvesting, so it's preserving their nutrient content. It's convenient as it's longer shelf life and can sometimes be more cost effective, especially when certain fresh items are out of season. I adopt both, if I'm honest. I'll buy frozen fruit for convenience and I'm constantly in my local Asda, just before it closes, buying all the discounted fruit that is perfectly fine, but has a silly date on it. Number four. How can I measure my progress? There are a few ways to measure your progress. You can keep a workout journal for starters. I know it's 2024 and we have all these apps galore, but I believe nothing beats a pen and paper. It's like your own personal journey written in sweat and determination. It's never good to be on your phone in the gym if it can be helped, and it's very distracting too. A simple notebook is all that is needed. Keep it old school. I use my rest time between sets to update my book, look at my previous session so I can compare past performances. It's like a blueprint to your gains. Simple and effective. Working out doesn't need to be overcomplicated. Log your reps, your sets and your weight for each exercise and as you progress, you should notice an increase in these performance metrics. As Greg Doucette says, train harder than last time. 
Taking progress pictures can help keep you motivated, especially during weight loss or for muscle building. Capture the transformation. Compare side by side to see the changes in your physique over time. If possible, try to take your progress pictures in the same location, wear similar clothing and take similar angled pictures so you can compare them fairly. Taking measurements can also help too. Even if the number on the scale isn't moving a lot, taking measurements from your chest, your hips, your waist, your arms and your thighs can be a clear indicator of changes. Add up to measure in the morning on an empty stomach when you're at your lightest and you're retaining potentially the least amount of water. Number five, are fitness watches accurate? This totally depends on what you're hoping to measure. For measuring heart rate or tracking steps, they are a brilliant tool. For tracking calories burned during your workout, I take with a pinch of salt. Stanford University performed a study on seven leading brands of fitness watches. None of the watches in the study measured energy expenditure accurately, with the most accurate device was off by 27% and the least accurate by a huge 93%. When it comes to calories burned, they are not precision tools. They offer more of a, a guesstimation. Number six, what exercises burn belly fat? You can't reduce fat in one area by exercising that body part. Spot reduction doesn't work. It's not possible to focus on a specific muscle and make the fat magically disappear in that exact spot. You're not a builder bear. Where your body stores fat is heavily influenced by your genetics, your diet, your hormones, your sex, your body composition and your body type. Women generally tend to carry their body fat on their hips and their thighs. Men tend to carry more fat in their midsection or the gut. If spot reduction worked, you'd see Terry. Terry's battling the bulge, doing crunches, Roman twists, jackknives and planks for the last six weeks. And then he'd be on the beach with his flabby arms, his man boobs, fierce like a bulldog, but with rippling abs. When have you seen that? Never. If you want a slimmer waist, it starts in the kitchen. It's not about targeting one neglected muscle. It's an army of changes. Resistance training, a good diet, plenty of water, plenty of sleep. Moving on to number seven. Should I detox? Short answer, no. If your goal is to detox your system, don't waste your time or your money. Your body's like a self-cleaning oven. It's designed to get rid of those toxins, whether you're drinking broccoli smoothies or smashing chicken nuggets in your face. The main issue with detox diets and juice cleanses is that they are protein deficient. They're extremely low in energy, can cause unhealthy blood sugar swings and are unsustainable. Also, detox diets are not good for people with certain medical conditions and they can actually be really harmful. There is no research demonstrating their effectiveness in improving blood pressure, cholesterol or heart health. For those with diabetes, these diets can be particularly dangerous, potentially leading to dangerously low blood sugar if you take medication for diabetes. All hype with no proven health benefits. There are many ways to get your body clean and healthy. This definitely isn't one of them. Number eight, how much protein do I need per day? Well, the amount of protein needed can vary depending on your age, your sex, your weight, your activity level and the frequency and the intensity of your workout. A commonly recommended guideline for muscle building is to consume about 1.6 to 2.2 grams protein per kilogram of body weight but I find it's too broad. I like to go with the one gram of protein per pound but of lean body weight because you don't need protein to maintain body fat. So if say you weighed 220 pounds with 10% body fat you're going to be on the 200 gram protein mark. This way of working out protein is very popular too. IFBB Pro Greg Dusser advises this equation for working out protein too. Good enough for Greg, it's good enough for me. Number nine, 
How long should I work out for? You don't have to be in there for hours. It all depends on your goals. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. The ideal workout duration can vary. All depends on you, your goals, and your type of workout. For weightlifting and strength training, 45 to 60 minutes per session may suffice. Ultimately, how much time you spend on exercise is up to you. Time is precious, and sometimes it seems like there is never enough. I find 45 minutes to an hour is sufficient. Number 10. How often can I train abs? If your mission is to turn your stomach into something that you could grate cheese on, generally speaking, training your abs two to three times a week is a good starting point for most people. Big movements like power cleans, squats, deadlifts all work your core too. You should be training them the same way you train any other muscle. Overtraining can increase your risk of injury and hinder your progress. All muscle needs time to heal and as it heals, it grows and then you see the results. Remember, you can't out-train a bad diet. It's important to work your abs but your food intake has to complement your goals. Visible abs depend on both muscle development and body fat percentage. And this brings us nicely on to the next question, number 11. Do I need to track my food? Absolutely, yes. The majority of people don't realize how much they consume, the calories or the protein content. If you want to save some money, you track your spending. So if you want to save some calories, track your food. It's like budgeting, but for your belly. Food is no different. It can help you understand what you're eating, how much you're eating, and understand your eating habits better. I think it opens up more freedom because you're making informed decisions. I think, wherever possible, you should be looking at the ingredients and the nutritional labels on the food you consume. Like, for instance, I really love coffee. Recently, I bought this Christmas-inspired, syrup-filled, sugary monstrosity from Starbucks. And after two sips, I realized it's not worth the calories. It tasted like reindeer piss. It averaged around 400 calories, and I thought, I'd rather eat something I really enjoy for those 400 calories. So I didn't drink it. Do I need to track my food? Yeah. You should know what you're putting in your body. If you can write down your reps, your sets and your weight, then why is food any different? You don't blindly lift weights and it's the same principle. Don't blindly stuff your face. Food is fuel for your body. If you don't know what's in the tank, how can you expect peak performance? That's food for thought, guys. In conclusion, embrace the process, make informed decisions and enjoy the journey. No gimmicks, no shortcuts, just hard work, discipline and the occasional reindeer pissed flavoured coffee. Keep it real, keep it simple and remember, knowledge is power. I'll see you all next week. Thanks guys. I'm super pumped to have this podcast. I'm here to help you through the unbelievable world of healthy eating. Fad diets, TikTok trends, I'll be debunking myths and deciphering Brenda from Work's food recommendations. Here we'll cut through the fluff and the nonsense, possibly some oversharing, definitely some ranting, but I promise it's going to be eye-opening. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, everybody. This is the Meatbag Podcast with Dylan Bedenese.